Welcome to False Flag Weekly News, your one-stop shop to learn about all of the hideous happenings afflicting our world on a weekly basis. I'm Kevin Durrett with Dr. E. Michael Jones. Hey, welcome, Mike. Good to have you back. Thank you, Kevin. Good to be here. Yeah. All right. Well, this is a, an interesting day to be doing this. Uh, we just had a kind of a crazy bit of news out of Russia, but we'll get into that. First, we're going to share our screen and we're going to do our inevitable, nay, obligatory disclaimers. So where do we start here? Come on, disclaimers. Well, here's here's the slide of the week. This is our theme. Um, what's Peter Hotez so afraid of? We'll talk about that as we get into the show. But first, a couple of public service announcements. First public service announcement, please support the show. Go to truthjihad.com, which takes you to Iceland. In Iceland, you click on False Flag Weekly News, which gives you a ticket to a nonstop flight to this particular webpage, where number one on our list of 30 stories is always how to help the show. And that takes you to the fundraiser. This is for next week. We're already $40 up for next week, but we're a little behind for this week. So if you guys could help out with that, I'd appreciate it. And then uh, here's here's what the fundraiser looked like for uh, for this particular show last I looked at it. We're trying to get to 200, so help us out. And then there's number two, which is the help F False Flag Weekly News relocate and become sustainable. In other words, help us go someplace where I can afford to actually live and keep doing this stuff. So that would be really helpful. We're, we're scrambling to move to Morocco right now, and every penny that comes in helps us scramble a little bit less. So let's start the show. Today's top headline, World War III is trending on Twitter. Um, so, Mike, that's always a bad sign, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you put a negative spin on World War Three, yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, we get it has solved a lot of problems. Inch, in, we get inch by inch closer every day. Yeah, yeah, and I think we got like two or three inches closer overnight. So here, here's the big story: the uh, mercenary boss has seized a city in southern Russia. What's the, what's the story? Well, specifically, Evgeny Prigozhin has uh, led a sort of mutiny from within the Wagner mercenary forces against Vladimir Putin. Well, he doesn't say so. He says it's against the Russian military, but I'm pretty sure that's uh, not, you know, that's basically the military is under the authority of Putin. So this does look pretty serious. What's your take, Mike? Well, uh, first of all, the he used to complain about not getting enough ammunition from the Russian military, Prigozhin, and the siege of Bakhmut, which means uh, he's totally dependent on the Russian military to pull off this coup. How's he going to get the support to do this if it's not from the Russian military? Well, maybe there's another uh, group that's supporting him. And that's uh, just deducing things a priori from the situation. So is the CIA behind this thing? He's a mercenary, which means he, he fights for money. Uh, does someone come up with more money to create a, a coup d'etat in the middle of the war to disrupt the war effort? At this point, mm -hmm. I don't you know. know. You know Mike, that, that's a perfect lead-in to uh, here, our, our next slide here. Okay, theme song of the week. Here we go. Hello, do you hear the theme song, Mike? Yeah, I hear it. Okay, this is the uh, classic uh, Mercenaries by John Cale. Lyrics were mercenaries of useless, disunited, unfaithful. They have nothing more to keep them in a battle other than a meager wage, which is just about enough to make them want to kill for you, but not enough to make them want to die for you. 
Okay, that's uh, that's mercenaries, which is pretty much what's going on here. It looks like. Uh, so you think the CIA is paying him, Mike? Well, who else would pay him? The, the, uh, <laughs> Ma Machiavelli knew this because the conditore, the, the princes in Italy, would hire mercenaries, and the mercenaries would manage the battles uh, for maximum profit and maximum extent in time. So back then, the weapons were, you know, who cares? They get, guys go out, they battle a little bit with swords or something like that. And then they go back and rest up, and they, they carry the war on until somebody runs out of money. Uh, this is uh, the way mercenaries act, but uh, they got a lot more dangerous weapons now, and we're in a much more dangerous situation. So Indeed we are. So who, I mean, the whole point is you have to ask the question, Kui Bono, who's benefiting from this? We don't know. Uh, we, we know who's benefiting. Obviously, if you're creating an internal front in the middle of a war, uh, that's not going to help the Russians at all. Uh, but how, how is this supposed to succeed? I think that there is the, the underlying story here is that there is massive discontent in Russia and that Putin is hanging on by a thread. And all we have to do is show up with our uh, people one way or the other, and the Russian people will greet us as liberators. They'll throw flowers at the tanks, and uh, it'll all be over. This was the myth originally. It was the myth about Iraq. It was the myth about Syria. And it's based on the myth of the American uh, goodness, the American goodness that was established in World War II when we liberated concentration camps and stuff like that. So it's uh, a story, a category of the mind that's getting imposed on the Russian people. I don't think it corresponds to reality. I don't think so either. And again, the reason that World War III is trending is that Russia has nuclear weapons precisely to use them in the event that it's facing an existential threat as a state. And if we're getting closer to that, we're getting closer to a whole lot of things blowing up and not just Moscow. Well, uh, let's move on to our RFK Jr. news. This, of course, was the theme slide of the week that was set before the events in Russia. And Tucker Carlson did a really good show here in the headline, Bobby Kennedy is winning. So he stole his headline, but we're raising some questions about that. So, Mike, do you think that Bobby's really winning? No. <laughs> okay. uh, I, I think uh, I think, first of all, that Bobby lost his mandate uh, la last week. So Bobby um, uh, basically s begins his campaign by saying he's going to avenge his father and his uncle. Now, that, that resonates deeply with people. He's got a personal stake in it. And he goes on to say that uh, the murder of his uncle was, in effect, a coup d'etat. And a group of people have taken over our country uh, since that time. And it's time to roll that back. And now I'm really on board with this thing. And then suddenly Rabbi, Rabbi Shmuley Botik shows up at Bobby's uh, place and asks him about Israel. And Bobby says, I support Israel's right to exist. And suddenly the whole thing is heading in the opposite direction. So I tweeted at that point, well, why didn't Israel support your uncle's right to exist then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I tweeted stuff like that too. Uh, and, and that was, uh, so once again, You've got this, the great white hope arises, there's an element of hope, and then he runs into the brick wall of American reality, the reality of American politics, which is Jewish control, and he, he folds like a cheap suit. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. So, so, what, so now we're back to, to Tucker Carlson. I said, I said before, you know, God bless Tucker Carlson, he was the only guy to listen to the mainstream media 
But the only, and so he get kicks out. Well, who kicked him out? Tucker, you know who kicked you out. It was the ADL. They've been going after you for years. Okay. Uh, and so the first out of the box, he starts talking about UFOs. Why didn't you talk about the ADL? That's the big issue. That's the reason you're here. Well, he could have talked about the JUFOs, right? I mean, that's... <laughs> <laughs> so I, the analogy I used for Tucker was to basically the killer whale, the orca, that gets released from SeaWorld, put back in the Pacific Ocean, and he swims in 80-foot circles because that's all he's ever known for his entire life, even though he's not in the tank anymore. Okay, well, uh, there's always the possibility that Bobby is making the right noises because it's the only way to get elected. Uh, and what he's going to do if he's elected, who knows? But but in any case, there was an interesting debate kerfuffle going on where apparently Joe Rogan, the most watched host in America, now that Tucker is on Twitter, although maybe maybe Tucker's right up there with Joe, I don't know, uh, had a challenge for Peter Hotez, the rabid vaccine proponent, to debate RFK Jr. And of course, Peter Hotez chickened out saying in science we don't typically do debates well what is science if it's not a debate so here's, here's another uh another of our musical interludes here uh this is uh why he didn't debate uh, Okay, so uh, science isn't about debate. You can't debate anything in science because science is pronouncements coming down from on high. Um, that's that, that, not... is all, that has always been the role science has played. Science is the word that will end the debate in the same way anti-Semite will end other debates. And uh, Fauci played this card. He said, you're not, you're, not, you're not disagreeing with Tony Fauci. You're disagreeing with science. Well, that's the end of the debate, isn't it? We don't debate science. And, That's right. That's yeah. exactly right. He's right. He's 100% right. And, and the first thing he, he said was, the first comparison he made was, well, I don't think a historian of World War III should debate a Holocaust tonight. <laughs> why, why would that be? Well, I, I think we all know. <laughs> All right, all right. So uh <laughs> it's a seamless it's a seamless garment here. Holocaust, science, what else? It's that. So shut up and do what you're told. Yeah, I mean you, you would think that the guy who should debate the Holocaust revisionist would be the World War II historian who disagrees with him, just like the vaccine expert who disagrees with RFK Jr. should debate him. But that's not how it works anymore, I guess. Uh and so now poor Peter Hotez is casting himself as the victim. He's being stalked. Uh, because he he had a, the Twitter exchange, and so a lot of people on Twitter don't like him, and so he's he's very very afraid. We need uh, vac vaccine denial laws. We need this immediately to prohibit. Well, actually, the, the ban is already on on uh, Google, isn't it? Uh, uh, the Tucker Carlson's de uh, uh, interview with Robert Kennedy was banned from Google. Yeah, yeah, we're going to talk about that one in in a moment. I, I'm, I'm or, sorry, or no, I'm not, so not, no, not not that one. It was the, it was the uh, debate. I, I, I'm sorry. It was YouTube. I was. I was referring yeah, to. Yeah, that. yeah. YouTube banned it. A uh, a couple of things we're going to talk about. I think later. Um, but the mainstream media, of course, uh, instead of saying, "Well, let's have this debate and show how RFK Jr. is wrong about vaccines," instead they all scream, not quite unanimously, but almost unanimously, "Don't debate him! Don't debate him! Whatever you do, don't debate him!" Uh, in the New York Times said, "No, you can't win a debate against someone who disregards facts." Um, yeah, who's disregarding the facts though? uh why he's right not to debate him in the houston chronicle 
and science magazine says don't don't let him have this debate oh no we can't debate it we can't we can't debate things that we already know uh and which one was this msnbc saying that refusing to debate makes perfect sense well yeah if you know right. you're gonna lose the debate uh scientists shouldn't debate gaslighters well who's the gaslighter here folks i mean i think that these people these mainstream media people telling us that we can't debate this because they know what the truth is and nobody's allowed to argue with them they're the ones who are gaslighting us uh, so let's let's go over to uh, to Tyler Durden at that uh, whatever his website is called for some common sense here. That I think he's a this debate dodger, maybe dodging the debate not only because he knows he's going to lose, but because he's actually part of the germ warfare industrial complex that created COVID in the first place, and he's trying to keep a lid on that in every possible way. But we shouldn't debate that either, of course. Yeah, this is known as the Brezhnev doctrine of uh, debate or the Brezhnev doctrine of discourse, which is means once you once you uh, debate is great as long as you're out of power. As soon as you get uh, to a position of power, then you ban all debate. It's also like the free speech. Uh, same thing with free speech. Uh, you can have Alan Dershowitz in. It is, it's on YouTube debating William F. Buckley, claiming that deep throat is an example of free speech. And he believes in free speech is protected by the First Amendment. Fast forward, he's in the uh, office of White House, the Oval Office with Donald Trump, banning any criticism of Israel. So that's the way it works, folks. Yeah, well, we'll see whether RFK Jr. bans any criticism of Israel. I would hope he wouldn't go that far. But here was my contribution to that. Uh, why is RFK Jr. shilling for the people who killed his father? So you were talking about his uncle, Mike, but I, I'm pretty sure the Zionists killed his father. I mean, who else is going to choose a Palestinian patsy? I mean, come on. They had to kill his father because they know if he were elected president, he was going to use the power of government to find out who killed his brother. That's why they had to, had to kill Robert Kennedy, because he was going to win. And they have to keep this secret. This is the deep, dark secret of the American empire, the coup d'etat, and the, the, the basis for the control that these people now have over us. Classic example being Lyndon Johnson, the switch on policy from John F. Kennedy, who was writing to Ben-Gurion saying, you got to shut down Daimona, to Lyndon Johnson, in bed with Matilda Krim, literally in bed with the Israel lobby there, calling back the attack or uh, the, uh, the pl American planes who were going to defend the USS Liberty against the Israeli attack. That was the that was the 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 water the watershed in American history. So RFK Jr. seems to have learned a lesson from what happened to his father. His father made a few very mild and mealy mouthed platitudes in favor of Israel. And then that allowed the Zionists to set up a hypnotized Palestinian patsy, Sirhan Sirhan, uh, in their uh, professional assassination. Now, RFK Jr., maybe he thinks that if, if he, you know, really steps out in front and, and just, you know, cheerleads for the Zionists much more uh, forthrightly, that they'll leave him alone. But I don't think so. Uh, that makes it that would make it even easier for them to come up with a Palestinian patsy. Uh, in any case, the mainstream media is starting to take him seriously, and maybe that's because, you know, if you start kissing Israel's nether regions, then uh, that means you're a serious candidate. And so we're we're hearing about his unexpected strength and so on and so forth here in the New York Times. Um, and they're quoting experts like this billionaire, Navigrats, one of the oligarchs who rules our fake democracy, uh, saying that, well, uh, yeah, maybe he could catch a spark. He's bright, el articulate, eloquent, connected, has the Kennedy name and could pull a lot of Trump voters so maybe the fact that that you know he's he's all pro-Israel isn't actually blowing up his campaign. It might be maybe quite quite the opposite. It may help him actually win. 
Well, the Kennedy name certainly resonates among Catholics. Uh, but he, he blocked that uh, approach, too, because he came out around the same time and said he was pro-abortion. Well, you just lost the Catholic vote uh, by saying that, or you lost a, a significant part of the Catholic vote. And then the question becomes, well, you invoked the name of your father. He had 11 children, I believe. Do you think he was pro-abortion? This, this is total incoherence. As soon as you get into within the force field of the American political system as it actually exists, it immediately deforms everything you did, everything you stand for, everything, every claim you make becomes contradictory if you go along with the contradictory demands that uh, of the political system. Yeah, well, I have to kind of agree. So here, here was the YouTube censorship. It was actually Jordan Peterson's interview of RFK Jr., Okay. And they, they yanked that interview. At first, everybody thought, well, that's because they insulted the LGBTQs or something like that, because uh, RFK Jr. pointed out that there's a lot of scientific evidence that Alex Jones was right. They are turning the friggin' frogs gay. That is, there are chemicals being released uh, mainly from plastics, but also from other things. It's unclear whether this is deliberate or not, that are really messing with uh, sex hormones and actually destroying male hormones and uh, turn in the friggin' frogs and maybe the friggin' people gay. And so <laughs> he didn't put it quite that way, but he mentioned the scientific literature. And so people speculated that that was why it was banned. YouTube didn't tell us for a while. And then they finally came out and said, well, no, it was banned because it violated vaccine policy, because we all know that these COVID vaccines are 100% safe and effective. There's no problem whatsoever with them. And uh, they kind of hinted that that wasn't the case. And so we're going to ban the video. Yeah, I, I'm sorry, but that's that's mumbo jumbo too. They, they, everyone, and any everyone knows that homosexuality comes from father deprivation. If you don't believe it, then just look up Joe Nicolosi. He was the the guy who came created reparative reparative therapy, and was actually successful in dealing with homosexuals who were tired of being uh, pushed around by their their neurosis, and actually cured people. And it was so successful that the state of California had to ban it. So it's illegal now in the state of California. His, his son is carrying on, I think, in uh, the same process in in Florida. That's that's the real that's the real story. The, the chemicals and I, I'm against chemicals in the water supply too. But that's not the reason for homosexuality, and uh, it's not going to get you anywhere either because it discredits your whole idea of uh, what you're basing everything on, which is. Uh, basically an attack on big pharma, which also uh, is contradicts your position on abortion. Wait a minute. If you're against big pharma and vaccines, why are you for abortion? That's uh, That kills the, the baby. Isn't that harm? This makes no sense. Bobby, you're wrecking your own campaign here because you, you got to start thinking straight. Yeah, and I think if Bobby had just kind of kept his mouth shut or, you know, said really vapid nothings about Israel and abortion and, and maybe a couple other issues, too, and then really hammered on on the, the right issues, that would have been a good campaign. But by going the hard in the wrong direction on some of these things, it's making that whole, you know, bring the country together, heal the divide thing uh, less likely to happen. Well, here's my parody of what happens if the establishment decides that just you know whatever the flaws of these candidates they're still unacceptable we can't allow these guys 
to keep going. And so there's going to be a magic bullet that's going to strike down Trump and Kennedy. Uh, fired from Dallas, of course, the book depository with a Manlicher Carcano rifle. It's going to make a 180-degree turn over in Mar-a-Lago and go out to Los Angeles to strike down Bobby. Um, and, of course, <laughs> you know, people are telling me, hey, don't give them any ideas. I don't think this is possible anymore. I don't think I don't think it's possible to shoot these people. It's certainly not possible to shoot Donald Trump. I don't, I don't see how that could possibly happen. Um, uh, they're going to have to try and whether whether this criminal proceeding is an attempt to promote his candidacy. Some people are saying that because they think it would be easy to defeat him again, or whether it's it's real. Uh, that's what they're reduced to. I, I I think that that excludes any of this any of this other type of stuff that. Worked in the past. It's not going to work now. Well, I'm hoping that by putting out this kind of satire, I'm sort of helping send the message that you're not going to get away with it this time. We we see through your nonsense. Um, I think but... that's exactly what this does. It, it, uh, it says that we understand what's going on. We understand the real history of what happened. And so don't try it again. Yep. Well, that was that was my intention, along with trying to get some, you know, very dark and bleakly gallows humor type laughs. But uh, moving on to Gallo's humor. Oh, boy, I guess we need some now with the war on Russia. We already talked about the uh, the ongoing attempt at a coup d'etat there, and it happened in the midst of Russian military successes. This is the way the American mainstream media portrays the Russian military successes, um, that they basically admit that the Russians are actually advancing in this supposed Ukrainian offensive or counteroffensive or whatever. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're admitting it in several different ways. Uh, but, you know, and actually making Zelensky look stupid as he claims, oh, we, we lost no positions, even as his guys are retreating. Um, the counteroffensive isn't meeting expectations. Well, that's a euphemism for it's totally flopped. And uh, and Terry Mason pointed out that there really was never any actual viable counteroffective in the first place. So it was this is the backdrop for this uh, desperate coup attempt. Yeah, I think if you look at it from the point of view of uh, military technology, there are certain things that are just not going to change. And the fact is that the tank the tank was created as the antidote to the machine gun during World War One. It was very successful in World War Two. Uh, but now it, it, it was only successful in World War Two because of air support. These things go hand in hand. And so if you have a tank uh, no matter how advanced, and you don't have air support, it's going to lose. And that's exactly what happened with the so-called counteroffensive. They sent tanks, one tank after another, and it got they all got destroyed. This is not going to work. It's it's uh it's it's up it's obsolete. The tank is obsolete, just as as in a sense the machine gun became obsolete with the tank, the tank became obsolete with missiles and drones. And that's what's destroying them right now. That's not going to change. There's no there's no miracle weapon right now that's going to change that. If they try, the this is why I think they're talking about F-16s because they understand that they have to regain air control, air superiority. If they don't, it's doomed. It's over. Then this counteroffensive has to prove that. So this coup attempt might be a Plan B to deal with the failing counteroffensive, and I hope that Plan B doesn't include direct NATO involvement. There are signs that it could, as uh, there have been big NATO exercises and some rumors of American military movements here in the United States. And a lot of folks are concerned about this, including uh, Dimitri Tremin, who in this particular article echoed Professor Sergei uh, Karaganov, who we talked about last week or was it the week before. Uh, Karaganov was actually advocating that Russia nuke 
Europe, not all of Europe, but just, you know, pick uh, pick a city that you could get rid of. Uh, maybe Bruges, Belgium. I don't know. Did you guys see the movie In Bruges? That looks like a city. No, I'm just kidding. Don't don't nuke Bruges. Bruges is it looks it's it's cool. Uh, and the movie was cool too. But seriously, folks, uh Sergei Karakanov actually was saying, yeah, let's like like you know, hit hit a NATO target in Europe to and the and what will happen is the Americans will back down. They're not going to lose their own cities because Russia hit one European target. So that will blow up the NATO alliance. This would be a demonstration uh nuclear attack. And it could lead to peace because it'll bust up NATO. Now, in this article, Dmitry Trimin is saying, yes, we understand that reasoning, but it probably won't work because even though, yes, the Americans wouldn't respond with a nuclear attack on Russia and thereby lose their own country, what the Americans could do is do something else. Uh, very, It wouldn't be nuclear, but it would inflict great pain on Russia. Russia would then have to go to a nuclear response anyway, and we'd be in a nuclear World War III. So uh, Trenton here is saying that won't work, but what we do need to do is make our nuclear deterrent credible, and we need to do um, unspecified things to make the Americans wake up and realize they're right on the edge of blowing up the planet. Yeah, and so the first step uh, in this direction uh, is the F-16s. The Russians are now saying that they are nuclear capable. If they are nuclear capable, then that's already one step toward this this uh, nuclear war, and it leads uh, the Russians to believe that they have to make a preemptive strike because if they don't, the Americans are going to do it with the F-16s. That that's the crucial point right now. The F introducing the F-16s with nuclear capability. Indeed, and so uh, all sorts of reasons why World War Three is trending on Twitter. But let's let's move on to the war in Palestine, where there's actually some good news for a change. Um, this thread that was highlighted on Twitter by Richard Medhurst, who does fantastic work. Shout out to Richard. Uh, was really about the only place where you could get the news in the West that uh, seven Israeli armored vehicles were taken out by Palestinian resistance fighters. Uh, and, of course, you're never going to hear that from the Zionist-occupied mainstream American media. No, this is ex exactly analogous to the war uh, in, in Lebanon, the last time the Israelis went into Lebanon. They got 500 yards into Lebanon, and their tanks were stopped by uh, Hezbollah, 1,500 Hezbollah soldiers who were dug in in tunnels and fired uh, missiles, and the missiles took out the tank. That's exactly the, the technological change that I talked about uh, previously. That has already happened in uh, in Lebanon in 2005, and now we're seeing the uh, exact analogy to that when they send in the tanks to Janine and they're blown up by uh, uh, IEDs. Uh, as far as I understood, that were they were IEDs that were done that. Yeah, yeah, and you can watch the videos. If you don't believe it happened, just watch the videos. And I don't think they're deep fakes. <laughs> so moving on to Hamas uh, is meeting with Iran and they're on the same page that uh, the future looks bright for the Palestinian resistance. This was Ismail Haniya, who's the Palestinian, uh, the Hamas's Politburo chief. Now, the resistance in Palestine is now they're all on the same page and they're all working together and they're working together with Iran. And they have the tacit support now of Iran's former nemesis, Saudi Arabia, and indeed the entire region. So it doesn't look so good for the Zionists, especially as, as their country goes crazy with uh, genocidal extremism that will never be tolerated by the world. Yeah, and we should. Uh, we have another person to thank for this. We have Anthony Blinken to thank for this. 
So the day, the very day that China pulls off the diplomatic coup of the decade by uh, uh, brokering a peace between Saudi Arabia and Iran, uh, Anthony Blinken, the secretary of state, whose job it is to prevent that type of thing from happening, uh, handed out the Woman of the Year award to a man from Argentina. Now, that's, this that's kind of random, isn't it? This is total. This is total incompetence. Total incompetence. Uh, the article, I forget who wrote the article, said that the main ca uh, qualification that uh, Anthony Blinken has is an inability to talk. He can't talk to people. He walks into the room. The first things out of his mouth are basically, I have relatives who died in the Holocaust. And at that point, everybody's supposed to roll over and play dead and do exactly. Yeah, well, tell us what to do then. It's not working. The just He just came back from China where it didn't work. He didn't get anything by talking to the Chinese. They're apparently not impressed with his uh, background. Yeah, we don't really do much diplomacy anymore. And that's why it's not going to be the U.S. that solves this problem between uh, Zionist invaders, occupiers, and genocide perpetrators and their victims supported by the entire region. If anybody helps negotiate the end of this, it'll be China with support from Russia. And of course, Iran will be standing by the Palestinian resistance. Well, moving over to Pakistan... Uh, the news out of Pakistan is pretty pretty terrible. Uh, mainstream media news this week was dominated by this titanic submersible disaster where some rich people who paid half a million, some ridiculous sum of money to sink down by the Titanic and look at the Titanic, ended up dying as their submersible uh, failed. And apparently there were some rich guys from Pakistan on board, uh, Shahzada Dawood, and his teenage son Suleiman died. So um, may Allah forgive them. But frankly, Pakistan's billionaire elite is, if anything, even more nefarious than most of the other billionaire elites around the world. And uh, the the other disaster, the one that's really uh, probably worth mourning a lot more, of course, was the migrant ship that sank, killing as many as 300 Pakistanis, most of whom were stuck in the hold. And it appears that it was turned over, tipped over by the Greek Coast Guard, which hooked up a rope, started pulling it, and that led to the uh, capsizing and the deaths of many hundreds of people. So uh, this article from, I believe, the Washington Post was actually pretty good in uh, talking about these two Pakistans. And of course, the, the two Pakistans, the people of Pakistan versus the billionaire elite that runs things. Imran Khan is uh, trying to take over Pakistan on behalf of the people, and he's being subject to the most draconian crackdown in Pakistan's history as the elite pulls out all the stops to stop him. Well, yeah, Pakistan is just an extreme example of the main problem in the world right now, which is basically that governments don't represent their own people. They represent the elites who pay them large amounts of money uh, to represent their interest. Uh, this, I mean, this was the, the role of Pakistan in Afghanistan as basically a, a launching pad for the uh, Mujahideen, uh, uh, the, the transit corridor for American weapons into Afghanistan. It, it's always been the case, but it, name, name a country where that is not the case. Yep. Hungary, Hungary, maybe, maybe the first thing pops in my mind is Hungary, but but I mean, it's the exception that proves the rule. And I, and I think perhaps even the bigger story is not it's not just that this corrupt billionaire elite runs things. The wealthy elite has almost always ruled. It's always either a, a wealthy elite or a billionaire or, uh, or a military elite. But um, here we have 
the End Times book by Peter Turchin that I, I just talked about in my chutzpah or Islamic sermon last week. Here it is, uh, End Times by Peter Turchin. He points out that, yeah, pretty much every society has been, always been ruled by one of these two forms of elites, but that uh, the difference is that some, in some cases, elites are willing to share some of their largesse with ordinary people and to limit their own numbers. And those become stable societies, at least for a while, until the descendants of that sense, relatively sensible elite uh, go crazy and try to snarf up everything, grab all the wealth for themselves. And so these extremely corrupt, stupid elites, these self-destructive elites are destroying their own societies by sucking up all the wealth and power for themselves in a completely psychopathic way. That's the real story of what's going on now. It isn't just that it's elite rule. That's always been the case. It's ruled by increasingly incompetent, psychotic, uh, greedy elites. Well, wait a minute. It's also the question of what do the elites believe? What is their operating system? What what do they do? Who do they pray to? And I think the, the classic yeah, example, yeah. like the beginning, the beginning of this for Europe was the Reformation which was basically an elite looting operation, certainly in England. In England, there was never any question. There was no theological justification for the Reformation. It was a looting operation, plain and simple. And Cobbett is the one, William Cobbett in the 18th century, is the one who told the story of this and basically said for 900 years, uh, when the Catholic uh, Church ruled England, uh, the wealth was shared. It was he said you couldn't go six miles in any direction without finding some type of institution that would take you in for the night if if you were sick and feed you. It, this was uh, the the England of the Purgatory Society, where the uh, peasants would uh, be allowed to graze on uh, the owner's land in return for praying for his soul, and they had a symbiotic relationship that led to prosperity. Cobbett proves this. This was all destroyed when the looters, uh, the Protestant Reformation took over England and privatized it, and England became then the model for the rest of the world. Yeah, well, I, I can't really uh, disagree with that analysis in part because I don't know as much about it as you do, but uh, I, th I think that fits pretty much the pattern that I've seen too. Let's move on to your uh, specialty, Mike, which is Culture Wars. Uh, that's the name of the magazine that you publish and edit. And the story, uh, the culture war story this week, the first one anyway, of several, is the huge protest at Dodger Stadium against the drag queens, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, who uh, mock Christ. Uh, this kind of institutionalized blasphemy is now becoming almost like the new religion, and a lot of people are getting sick of it. And you wrote this piece that was published or republished at the UNS Review about the hidden grammar of the Dodgers versus Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence controversy. So what's the hidden grammar? Uh, give us the short version. Yeah, the hidden grammar is Notre Dame University. So there. Yeah. So to go back to the, the controversy, the Dodgers, okay, who are owned by the Guggenheimer uh, Brothers Family Trust, okay, uh, have this advisor. Yeah, it's Pride Month. I know. We'll get the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence to come in. I immediate negative reaction, so they back down. Now, at this point, guess who shows up? It's Lindsay Horvath, a graduate of Notre Dame University, uh, who uh, was the main force behind the vagina monologues being performed at Notre Dame University 20 years ago. And she persuades the Dodgers to re-back down, re-invite them. <laughs> this is like right up there with the uh, Dylan Mulvaney uh, Bud Light uh, decision. Uh, 
a colossal mistake, okay, and united uh, for once the Catholic and the religious community against them. Uh, and so they now the bod the Dodgers realize they bit off more than they can chew. So they bring in the man. They're going to give him an award, but the award uh, is going to be handed over hours before the game start. No mention of it at the game. Okay, we're going to try and finesse this thing. So what they do is the exact opposite. Someone takes a picture. There's the award given to the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, and no one's in the stadium. Okay, so it blew up in their faces. But the hidden grammar here is Notre Dame. Notre Dame is willing. To, you buy off these Catholic institutions. They're willing to baptize any abomination. If it's if if if, if, if the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence isn't a blasphemous abomination, nothing is. And there's a Notre Dame grad running interference for them. Yeah, I mean, next thing you know, the Notre Dame Art Museum is going to put you know spend 10 billion dollars to buy the piss christ uh piece of art and and put that on display there i mean it's, it's really totally out of hand i think you're right in saying it's time for the church to maybe expel notre dame university and let them you know get a new sponsor like the church of satan so uh <laughs> the muslims of course are not just bystanders in all of this i mean we're cheering for you guys mike uh let's face it 99.99 percent of muslims are are cheering for the serious catholics like you in this culture wars battle even though we're not allowed to say it because well why is that it uh well this this article explains that now you know we've gotten over this whole 9-11 war on terror thing it was orchestrated in part to try to drive a wedge between christians and muslims and uh, the Alberta is just the latest battleground here. There have been a whole bunch of them uh, over in, in the UK, um, in several different American cities where Muslims have been taking the lead on these culture wars issues, trying to protect the school kids from the groomers. And um, up in, in you know, Calgary, uh, the, the actually the authorities are almost afraid to do anything about it because they'll be accused of being Islamophobes, which is kind of funny. Nobody seems to care about being a, a Christophobe. Uh, and then here's a great new article about this uh, by a guy named Dragoman, apparently a Muslim who is using a pseudonym for some reason. I guess I could imagine what that might be, um, talking about how the Christians and Muslims are uniting on this issue, which I think is good news. What do you think, Mike? Yes, of course, it's good news. Uh, and that's exactly what needs to happen here. The uh, uh, More so in England, I would say, than in the United States, because there's a larger Muslim population in England. They come from a traditional society. They're immigrants. Uh, the uh, English do not have this great engine of assimilation that the Americans have created because it was a nation of immigrants. And so they have a large population of unassimilated Muslims all living together, which means you have uh, political power because of concentrated geography. And it's natural that they would ally themselves with people who believe in the natural law, which is what Christians are supposed to believe in. This is what we share as human beings because we are rational creatures. The moral law is practical reason. This uh, the uh, social engineering machine has not been able to process large numbers of Muslims over this short period of time, and so they've retained the traditional morality. And so there's a natural uh, basis uh, for an alliance then between Muslims and Christians. Indeed, and it's getting stronger every day. And maybe we can take a little bit of credit for that. You know. We've been kind of pioneering this for over a decade with trips to Iran and things like that. Uh, and moving on to more news from the conservative culture wars front, 
this piece was which mainstream crappy out was this the washington post again i think it was uh talking about this it's in the style section and uh if you read the opening about uh, uh of this piece it's basically it's it's mocking the traditional conservative young women's get together and making it into a style show where uh you know it's a, a blur of shimmer and pink with sequins and bell bottoms and sequin bell bottoms and some kinds of you know they all they had heels of one kind or another platform often platforms sometimes bedazzled uh some had go-go or cowboy boots L carrie lake's daughter wore a nose uh, or i'm not a nose ring that's the other side that does that a, a rose gold pair of the latter etc 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 so the style section is kind of mockingly covering this uh conservative young women's get together but they're failing to cover up the fact that it's kind of interesting that the young women are starting to think this way. Yeah, th this is old news here. This is like the w let's have a report about the yahoos from the provinces and we'll yeah. all yuck it up. We readers of the Washington Post. Well, wa wait a minute. The Washington Post and the New York Times, who are famous for this type of stuff, have lost all credibility. They are probably but they're telling us this is bad style. They're, they're saying this is tasteless, That's right. bad this, style. This is like the 1970s. Yeah. So but the point the, the point is that uh, uh, it's not it's not working anymore. This type of shaming, uh, you're not cool because you don't go along with the program of the New York Times, that, that doesn't work anymore. The flip side of this is all of these states out here that are uh, banning abortion. This is upsetting, upsetting to these people, and they don't care anymore. They don't care. Hey, we don't care what the New York Times thinks. Sorry. Wow, we're in a world where people don't care what the New York Times thinks, man. Uh, that's, well, that's, wait, wait a minute. Why should we? Why should we care <laughs> if they won't even run Seymour Hirsch anymore? Why should we care if they're not going to run a guy like Seymour Hirsch? Oh, they, yeah, they, it's it's crazy now. You look at the New York Times and and that you know you, there's no line between opinion and news anymore, and it's it's all not just opinion, but you know unhinged, extreme, rabid, emotional opinion. And that whole it, it, just the facts attitude is gone. It gets more and more shrill by the day. Yeah. Which means nobody's paying attention. Yeah, I think they're desperate. They're losing their audience. And Fox is now having the same kind of problem. And we just got this leaked story about Fox, which has lost a lot of its ratings since Tucker Carlson left. Now they're accelerating, pushing uh, pride on their employees. And so Whistleblower went to Matt Walsh. And the internal documents are uh, about the Fox employees uh, being forced to read about glory holes, this kind of obscene uh, homosexual practice in public toilets and things like that. Well, I'm sure that'll that'll certainly help them become better Fox News employees. Yeah. So if there's everyone uh, an infallible design to wreck your brand, uh, do what the ADL tells you to do. Follow this agenda and you will lose uh, like Bud Light. Will, you'll lose like a. 40% of your uh, stock value overnight. It's well, a well, guaranteed a formula. The, the good news is that Fox is going to get to run all of the Dodger games and they'll be uh, advertising Bud Light. The bad news is that nobody will go to the games, nobody will watch the show, <laughs> nobody will drink any Bud Light. But, you know... <laughs> <laughs> this is contempt for the demographic that supports them. That one thing I just saw, there was a, a, a photo of uh, Pride Week at NASC, uh, Talladega. Uh, there's the big rainbow flag. There are the cars whizzing around the track. <laughs> Wait a minute. There's nobody in the stands. I wonder why. Yeah. 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 So, well, they're, they're trying hard. They're really pushing the, the elite 
ideology here is is you know they're pushing it really hard on the people but it, at some point uh the people get sick of it and it backfires well here is a, a good news case of christy higgs a christian teaching assistant who was dismissed from farmers school in fairford gloucester gloucester england uh for apparently pushing back against transgender brainwashing uh simply by posting on social media um so i guess you're allowed to post your thoughts on social media now uh, what's this four years later i don't know i guess so when when i mean uh, there's got to be a, a certain point where the turning the, the tide turns the people are going to have to if they're going to have to take control of their own schools if the schools are insensitive to that then they will abandon them and start schools of their own that's what's happening in south bend the the public school system is closing down school after school because nobody's going there new schools are opening and the magic formula that makes this possible is vouchers from the state the state will pay you to send your school your child to any school you want uh, it will go to the parents and that will allow the parents to have real choice in education and it will fund the uh, pr the uh, production of uh, creation of new schools. In, in the past, Catholic schools have actually been better, both educationally and uh, morally and spiritually as well. Although, you know, we hope they don't all go the way of Notre Dame. <laughs> well, that that was a decision. There was a de two Supreme Court decisions, Lemon versus Kurtzman, and uh, the other one was uh, the for the for, that was grade schools. You cannot government cannot fund grade schools because they promote religion, but they can fund colleges and universities uh, because they don't promote religion. The, the architect of that decision uh, was uh, Theodore Hesburgh, president of Notre Dame, who was a very influential guy at that point in life during the 1960s, could bring people like presidents and popes together. He was a real uh, mover and shaker at that point and created the mold of Catholic education, which uh, is Notre Dame and which is basically uh, anti-Catholic. Mm -hmm. Well, let's hope there's still some Catholic education out there to take advantage of this situation. Well, you, I saw you tweeted about this the other day, Mike, um, about the Jewish teacher who resigned due to the anti-Semitic comments from a 12-year-old student who is now facing criminal charges. And so a direct quote from the teacher is, well, he called me names. No, I just I made that part up. But it's not, you know, maybe it did happen. I don't know. So the ADL is going after 12-year-olds now? Yeah. yeah. I mean, do, do, we, do we have to say anything more? Uh, is is this overreach? Uh, Jonathan, take a deep breath, okay? Count to 10 and think over the fact that you may be uh, bringing about the exact opposite of what you intend here. Hey, yeah, called the cunning of reason, the cunning of reason you're bringing about. No one is creating more animosity toward Jews than the ADL at this point. And maybe that's your plan. That may be the plan, but it may backfire on you at a certain point. Well, you know, if like a 15 or 16-year-old kid murders somebody they get a lot more sympathy from this mainstream media than a 12 year old kid who supposedly called his teacher names so just goes to show uh since uh, since, since when is a 12 year old legally responsible to face criminal charges that isn't that doesn't that contradict the law uh don't well, I mean, to... hopefully it's in juvenile court. I, I maybe they'll waive that though and try him as an adult. It would maybe try and impose the death penalty in this particular case. I mean, it's, it's you know, we all know that the one thing that you can't do is you know insult uh, those who must not be insulted. Right. In any case, uh, well, moving up to a thirteen-year-old now. Here's here's a 
a 13-year-old who pushed back against the rainbow brainwashing in school and got support from her parents. Uh, so that's another feel-good story. But it's, it is kind of bizarre that these young, woke culture warriors in the schools are working so hard to brainwash so many people's kids in a direction that they totally disapprove of. Yes, yes. That, that's... Uh... This is part part of the same problem. But on the other hand, she is 13 years old, which is one year older than 12. So maybe that maybe she should be held responsible. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> yeah, she should be held responsible for pushing back you against. Can, uh, you, the can get, you can get you can you can get transition hormones and all of this type of stuff without parental approval in certain places if you're a minor. But you can't have an opinion about something like this, evidently. Yeah, yeah, it's it's funny how that works. Well, another sign of the times is that this Jesuit magazine is comparing Taylor Swift's concerts to going to mass. Now, I I've never actually participated fully in a Catholic mass. I've attended Catholic church a few times, once or twice when I was a little kid, uh, and I really don't remember it very well. But and I also haven't been to a Taylor Swift concert, so I really have no qualifications whatsoever for opining on this concept that the Jesuit magazine tells us that Taylor Swift's concert is just like going to mass. However, intellectually, it just strikes me as really weird. How about you, Mike? Well, all I have to do is modify the headline a little bit. So Taylor Swift era's tour concert felt a lot like going to mass said by a jesuit now that would have clarified the whole situation and made it perfectly clear uh, <laughs> what's well, with the jesuits the the jesuits are the um the jesuits are the main defender of the american empire in the catholic church they earned this over a period of the post-world war ii period uh, they control the Catholic Church right now. It began with the anti-communist crusade. Well, that seems like a good thing. It then morphed into Jesuit support for contraception, getting money from the Rockefellers. And then it came to the situation today where the Jesuits are run by uh, a homosexual cabal uh, that you have to accept if you're a Jesuit. I have a Jesuit friend, a late Jesuit friend who told me this. Paul Mankowski, to give you his name, told me this in person. Uh, when he was being persecuted by the Jesuits. They run the church now, the Catholic church now, because uh, Pope Francis is himself a Jesuit and an 86-year-old or whatever he is with one lung cannot run the church by himself. And so it's run by people like Father Spadaro uh, and, most importantly, James Martin, uh, the man whose mission in life is to defend sodomy from the platform called America Magazine. Uh, this is so bad that basically the they, the Jesuits got the Pope to go fly all the way to Uganda, okay, to tell the government there to decriminalize homosexuality. Uh, the government responded by turning homosexuality into a capital crime in, in Uganda because all of East Africa, the founding moment of East Africa was the Ugandan martyrs who basically said, we're not going to succumb to the king's homosexual advances. We'd rather die first. That sign of, it gets the identity of East Africa. And the Pope is just ruining his authority by going there on this mission impossible orchestrated by James Martin. Well, the Jesuits are supposed to be very subtle people. And I'm wondering if they're subtly trying to insinuate here something about their own sexuality, because maybe I'm wrong here, Mike. I'm not really that up on pop culture, but I thought I had heard somewhere 
that Taylor Swift's cult included a huge number of homosexuals, the Swifties, you know, these Swifties are fans of Taylor Swift. Uh, a lot of them are, the, if, if you're a male fan of Taylor Swift, you're obviously homosexual. Is are the Jesuits promoting that? I think so. I think so. But it's it's whatever the American empire promotes. This is obviously part of the American empire's propaganda machine. Uh, the homosexuals go in for this type of thing. Bette Midler was a classic example. She used mm -hmm. to perform gay bars uh, in uh, in uh, bathhouses in in New York City. I don't know. I don't understand it. Uh, I'm not of that persuasion. Uh, but it's obvious that the effect is that. Look, it, the the American Empire is a gay disco, and they promote the gay disco. And the classic example right now, other uh, of from an American point of view, is Rahm Emanuel is now. Uh, ambassador to Japan, and guess what he's promoting? He's promoting the homosexual agenda there. What a coincidence! I, yeah, I, I, yeah. This is uh, the, this is a, one of the proxies, the revolutionary movements that was created by Jews. It, there's no question about. It. Look into the APA changing the definition in the 1970s. It was a Jewish operation, and we know that because the granddaughter of the Jew who did it uh, did a show on PBS, uh, uh, public uh, National Public Radio, uh, announcing of how proud she was of her grandfather for doing this. So this is what's going on here. Well, if the Catholic Church needs to expel Notre Dame University, maybe they need to expel the Jesuits if they're doing this. I mean, I, I thought that if, if you're going to have a religious experience focusing on, on a woman, it's got to be the Virgin Mary. But apparently now it's uh, it's Taylor Swift for these people, which is a really bad sign. Uh, and no wonder there's this fast-growing religious shift in America, people stopping going to church that the New York Times is celebrating. Uh, I don't think they should be celebrating it. It kind of reads that way, though. But hey, if you're going to your church and, and some gay priest is trying to seduce your kids and get them into Taylor Swift worship, I think maybe I would stop going to church too. I would tell the New York Times, be careful what you pray for. Because if, if you undermine religion, you're undermining the restraint of Christian morality. And when the tide turns, that means there'll be a ferocious, violent reaction. Uh, the best example is what happened in Germany during the 1930s. Uh, Hitler uh, uh, Hitler uh, said to the uh, to the church, tried to unite the church, the Protestant Catholic Church didn't work. He said, "I'm just doing what you were supposed to be doing." He was referring to Secret Judeus Non, which was the traditional Catholic teaching on the Jews, which said basically, Jews uh, have no one has the right to harm the Jew. Um, but the Jew has no right to destroy your culture. Hitler got it half right, okay? He forgot the first part because he wasn't bound by any type of religious restraint. So uh, other Jews have said this. Uh, if you if the Jews keep undermining uh, traditional religion, they will find that they have a pagan population that has no restraint, uh, moral restraint, when it comes to dealing with them when the tide turns. Hmm. That makes sense to me. Well, maybe we're getting towards the end times and maybe the craziness you're suggesting might be on the way could be a part of the convulsions of that period. So our end time stories include um, this one about Cormac McCarthy. So why is this? What does that have to do with the end times? Well, I, I put it in this section because uh, the Peter Turchin's book that I, I mentioned uh, earlier, uh, End Times, uh, is really about the massive explosion of inequality as the Western, especially American elite, has taken away all of the constraints against them sucking up all the wealth and destroying the life and the morals, of course, of the ordinary people. And uh, Cormac McCarthy's literary career 
happened at a time when that destruction of uh, of America's economy and culture hadn't fully uh, completed itself. And so he was living in a time when a mainstream publishing house could still support a guy who wrote really interesting stuff that hardly sold at all. And now things have gone so far that it's just money, money, money that rules everything. And nobody like him would even get their manuscript looked at by any contemporary publishing house. So here's a rare New York Times story that's probably pretty accurate. Yeah, the turning point was uh, William Styron, uh, Sophie's Choice. William Styron had established a reputation as a Southern writer. He was considered the heir of William Faulkner. And at this point, it's, like, it's in the book. If you read Sophie's Choice, the, the, the Jew uh, who's the main character tells him, you know, well, that's Southern Gothic fiction. That's a busted flush now. You got to get with the Jewish writing. And that was the turning point. So uh, William Styron abandoned what he knew, which is basically talking about the South, and got into uh, a story that was way uh, out. Of, he was way out of his depth trying to write about Poland. But it was a, a shameless attempt to cash in on the Holocaust narrative. Sophie's Choice is part of the Holocaust narrative. It's a crappy novel. And I think he understood it. Uh, and uh, he never wrote anything after that. He went into depression. He tried to uh, spent the last years of life trying not to commit suicide, taking drugs, and so on and so forth. But that's what happened there. That 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 idea of uh, the uh, the skill in writing all took a backseat now to certain content, which was approved content, and that was the the end of serious writing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, we could be facing the end of a lot of things at uh, the end of The Road. Uh, Mark McCarthy's novel, The Road, which was uh, both a critical and uh, financial uh, popular success about 15 years ago, it really described accurately what America is going to be like if those nukes start going off, as it looks like they're about to. Uh, so, yeah, we look like we're in the end times. And, and Peter Turchin, I think, gets it gets it largely right in his analysis that the uh, greed and amorality of the current elites is the root of the problem. Uh, so how about uh, James O'Keefe's latest scoop? I think he has left Project Veritas or he was expelled by a coup d'etat. But now apparently there is no more Project Veritas because it was always really just James O'Keefe anyway. And here he has a, a BlackRock recruiter uh, talking about BlackRock uh, running the world, uh, owning the politicians, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, did you catch this one, Mike? Yeah, I, I did. I did. And the 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 main rock upon which uh, BlackRock is going to founder is the Ukraine. Their latest scheme is to basically buy up the Ukraine. They call it a reconstruction project for the Ukraine. It's basically another looting project of the same sort that took place in Russia after the, the fall of the Soviet Union. Uh, and it can't work uh, unless they win the war. And I don't think I don't know the Prigozhin house fa that factors in, but they're not going to win the war. So therefore, they're not going to be able to divvy up uh, the Ukraine in the way they hope to. But one, I just like to mention that end times is a Christian concept. Uh, before Christianity, you, you everyone thought people like people like Plato and Aristotle thought the world was eternal. If there is an end time, it means that history has a, uh, a direction. If there's a direction to history that will lead to the end, it means that God's in charge of it. And uh, I think we should keep that in mind because it usually means something dire uh, uh, over which we have no control. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, Peter Truchin thinks the elites can reform themselves and sometimes do. 
but about four out of five, five out of six times that doesn't happen. The society completely collapses or is uh, utterly destroyed. And often those same elites suffer the most from it. And interestingly, this is what the Quran tells us happens over and over and over, that the mala'a or the elites uh, end up running their, their society into the ground. The prophetic voice of truth challenges them. They refuse to listen to it. And then, boom, they pretty soon you got picturesque ruins. And the Quran asks us to travel around the earth and look at the picturesque ruins of the societies that uh, destroyed themselves in that way. So I thought that was interesting. I actually preached an Islamic sermon or khutbah about this mm -hmm. uh, yesterday. And people can find that uh, by way of the Hijria YouTube channel. It's K-H-I-D-R-I-A. So yeah, end times, it's a Christian concept, and then Islam is kind of a spinoff in a sense of, of Christianity, so it's also an Islamic concept. Um, and finally, uh, end, more end time symbolism, well, the you know, this disaster, end of the world, apocalyptic kind of thing is often symbolized by the fate of the Titanic, and now we had a mini fate of the Titanic th thing this week with the, uh, the submersible that, uh, that blew up, and you tweeted about this, Mike, that the 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 CEO of that company, uh, Stockton Rush, uh, said that he didn't want any fifty year old white guys because they weren't inspirational. So I guess all those uh, those twenty something uh, airhead uh, females. Uh, I'm sorry, I, sh I shouldn't say that. That's it makes me sound as bad as Alan Zabrowski on my radio show last night, who was railing against women. But uh, but seriously, folks, sometimes maybe the guys you should be hiring for technical tasks, they might happen to be white. They might happen to be fifty years old. Yeah, I think Stockton Rush uh, goes all the way back to the founding of uh, the American Republic. Uh, Rich, I think it's Richard Stockton and Benjamin Rice. They're the two, his two descendants. This is a classic American story. And I think the classic text on this would be uh, Moby Dick by, by Herman Melville, mm. uh, which is basically what do you do when you're uh, sailing with a lunatic who's the captain? Uh, with this psychopath who is the has your life uh, uh, under his control because you're stuck on a ship with him or a submersible. Uh, and so uh, uh, Colonel McGregor, I've used it before, but Colonel McGregor apparently said that American foreign policy is uh, it's a car and the neocons have their hand on the steering wheel and they're driving you over the cliff. It's the same type of analogy. I think that's why this story got so much resonance. Because we feel it uh, as as Americans that we're somehow captive in this ship that is run by a lunatic. Yeah, that's or right. Or a, a psychopath, which is another word for CEO. Yeah, pretty much. It's it's a whole uh, a whole bunch of psychopaths. That's that's our uh, our billionaire elite, uh, comprador, bourgeoisie, whatever you want to call them. Uh, so we're heading uh, heading for hell in a proverbial handbasket, or maybe in a Polish bus. Uh, but this week, the Christians in Poland managed to change bus 666 to hell, uh, which has been running to hell regularly, apparently, for quite mm -hmm. some time. And they managed to change the route or something. So it's not going there anymore. So do you think that we could actually derail the, uh, the handbasket to hell that we're all in right now somehow by overthrowing this satanic elite that's running things and substituting something better good question good question but uh, on the other hand you can still go to hell michigan <laughs> okay well poland is saved but michigan may still be damned and whether the planet as a whole makes it or the united states for that matter that's still up in the air and we will keep reporting on this at false flag weekly news so stay tuned and check in next week to find out whether we're still here and uh, not in the afterlife. Uh, mm -hmm. 
inshallah we'll have another false flag weekly news show but if not hey it was great uh, anyway thanks uh dr e michael jones appreciate your fantastic work and keep it up thank you kevin okay take care